as we offer our songs to God, as we offer our gifts to God, we also offer our hearts and minds to God as we attend to God's Word. We're continuing uh, through the Apostles' Creed, and as we reread that, as Ben led us through it, and also referenced one of the two texts that we're going to read today. Um, we're reading John 8, 1 through 11, and John 18, 28 through 40. So, John 8, John 18. It's hard when we come to the point of the Apostles' Creed where we're talking about Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified. That's a lot of territory to cover, and there's four different books of the Bible, four Gospels, that cover those elements. And we do spend some time on Christ's conception and birth in Advent and Christmas time, and in Lent and Easter, we celebrate both, well, we recognize his death and celebrate the forgiveness of sins, and we celebrate the resurrection. How do we narrow down all of the stuff of Jesus' life in the middle between being conceived by the Holy Spirit and being crucified? There's a lot that happens. There's too much to contain. Too much to contain even in any of the four Gospels. There's even more that Jesus said and did. Certainly too much to contain in one sermon. And so I will not try to preach five. If we could preach one sermon today about the life of Jesus as it relates to John 8 and John 18, if there's a phrase that I would invite you to hold on to, it would be this. Choose calm. Choose calm. As we think about Christ living in this world, being in the middle of so many things, and yet Jesus chooses calm. And all of us at some point or another are faced with some stress, some overwhelm, and yet if we follow the line of Jesus, we can separate ourselves out from our human impulses of the crowd and find ourselves more in the place of Christ, being more like him. And just a note, if you're a regular worshiper here, you might notice, oh, the stage setup's a little bit different. We had a wedding yesterday, um, so got to celebrate that Dolores Hopps' granddaughter um, was married, and so uh, as we celebrated Jordan and Stephanie, uh, becoming Jordan and Stephanie Nieri, or as uh, the brother of the groom pronounces his own last name, Nieri. And so I was, uh, you know, trepidatiously imitating that. Um, we celebrate uh, that. And we have this really nice lectern, but we don't use it very often. And so with a couple weddings this month, we thought, let's just leave it up, change up the stage a little bit, and appreciate the beauty and elegance. Our pulpit is strong and bold. Our, elegant, our, our lectern is elegant and slim. And sometimes in life, we need to make bold statements. And sometimes we need simplicity. And so I invite you, as we read these stories of Jesus, think about the boldness of Christ and also his simple and elegant way of existing in the world and choosing calm. Let's pray together before the reading of God's word. Jesus, we come to you grateful that you are the way, the truth, and the life that you show us the way by how you lived in this world when you took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you that you are the truth, that you speak truth into our hearts, into our minds, and into our lives. You are the life, that we have no life if we do not abide in you, that if we are separated from you, the true vine, we will not bear fruit. And so as we turn to your word, may you show us the way 
May you speak to us your truth, and may you fill us not just with any old life, but with new life that is found in you. And in all of this, we thank you and we praise you. And may we choose calm as we follow after you. In your name we pray, amen. First, with John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Then the Jewish leaders, oh, I was looking at the wrong spot. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Turning also to John 18 at verse 28. Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, and as we remember in the creed, we say, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Um, that helps us to have a historic point um, that we can identify in the scope of human history. Um, but also, it is unfortunate. I think Pilate gets a bad rap for suffered under Pontius Pilate. We see some of the integrity and confusion of Pilate himself as, Je as Jesus stands before him. And yet here again, with his life on the line, Jesus chooses calm. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial unclean uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? Well, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
Ah, you are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Choose calm. Sounds easy, doesn't it? It's two simple words. They're not complicated. And yet the depth of choosing calm when tensions are high, when there's a lot at stake, when anxiety becomes contagious, and when groups are fired up, or when we feel like our life is falling apart and falling to shambles, it is hard, in fact, a spiritual discipline to choose calm. And yet we see this in Jesus, starting in John 8, where there is an entrapment going on. And, and it should bother us, the, the details of the text that are offered, it should bother us quite a bit, actually, that the Pharisees and teachers of the law are using this woman caught in adultery, not because they care about her repentance or her turning back to God or any kind of, any kind of remedial entrance into grace, they don't care about her. She is a means to an end. They will stone her if that's what it takes to pull one over on Jesus. This is simple entrapment. This should bother us that their tactics care very little for the concern of one human life. It's just one adulterer, and so they would have the ability to stone her. And yet also, we do hear in John 18 that little side note that they don't actually have the rights to execute anyone under Roman law and rule. So once again, part of the entrapment is coming into full view. Is Jesus going to turn on the Romans and say, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess according to the law of Moses, you have to stone her. And then they'll say, aha, we got him. They could hand him over to the Romans to say, hey, that guy sanctioned an execution. He's not allowed to do that. So they would have had the perfect entrapment with the Romans. Or... Does Jesus know that he can't sanction an execution without getting in trouble with the Romans? So he would have to turn away and contradict the law of Moses. It's a clever, manipulative trap. And it should bother us that one person's life is worth the price of proving Jesus wrong. That is deep hatred. If a life is expendable just to prove your point. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus engage the crowd on their own terms? Because, I mean, they're fired up. That level of hatred that you're willing to kill someone to win an argument, that level of hatred is vitriolic, and the crowd is stirred up. And if we're honest, there are times where we have probably enjoyed being on the side of the crowd that's fired up because it feels good to have that sense of self-assuredness, of self-righteousness, that we can say, we're right, that person's wrong, and the ends will justify the means, and we will move forward. Jesus could have gotten pulled into that kind of argument. Jesus could have been pulled into all of that and stirred up. Or 
He could have been despondent and, and freaked out because if you think about the woman who is caught in adultery, and we notice that, well, it takes two to commit adultery. There's only one woman here. There's, there's somebody missing from this picture. But once again, this isn't really about the adultery. It's about them trying to trap Jesus. What about the woman who is despondent? Because her life is about to end. Because when people stone people, rocks are at the ready. And it's not like a quick thing that happens. But people are ready to start throwing rocks at you until you die. She is waiting for her execution. Her life is over. And can you imagine, some of you can, that despondent moment where your life is quite literally on the line. And it's all about to end. And people are ready. Now, I've only ever lived in the Midwest, so I'll admit it's hard for me to understand that there's different geography, but to stone someone, you could throw rocks at them in the street, it takes a really long time, but in most places, you could drag someone out to an overside of a cliff, which I, I just haven't really lived very many cliffs between Indiana, Iowa, and Michigan. But then you'd take the bigger rocks and you'd throw them down at someone until they would essentially be buried under the rocks. People are at the ready. We've got someone who's despondent. We've got those who are stirred up and ready to go, ready to throw rocks. And what does Jesus do? Does he get into a shouting match? Does he point out how unfair and horrible this is? Does he shame the Pharisees for being terrible people? Does he try to, to bargain with this woman's life that this isn't worth it? Or does he crumple under the pressure? No. Jesus bends down and starts writing in the dirt with his finger. You ever been around an angry crowd? There's probably a lot of noise. Jesus is just writing in the dirt with his finger. Choose calm. What an amazing response that we might learn something from. That in the heat of the moment, Jesus is not sucked into anything, but Jesus sets his own agenda and starts writing in the dirt. And when they continue to press him, when the noise keeps happening, that's when he straightens up and says, all right, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And then he just goes back to writing in the dirt. Just goes back to it, almost as if nothing is happening, even though Jesus is wise and knows everything is happening right now. But then they start to go away, don't they? And the Gospel of John tells us, starting with the older ones first, those who have maybe made a few more trips around the sun, although at this point they wouldn't know that it was a trip around the sun, but you get my point. They have to drop their rocks. Because Jesus has turned the tables. In his moment of calm and clarity, he has called the human heart out for the actual debate not the laws of Rome or the laws of Moses, but in the territory of the human heart, no one has the right to throw a stone. Jesus has chosen calm in the midst of an anxious situation and has diffused it and frustrated the Pharisees and teachers of the law once again. And they walk away one by one. And you know, the younger ones in the crowd, I'm sure they're, they're waiting for their elders who they revere, who, who have taught them the Torah, who have taught them the law, the Bible. They're probably, the younger ones are waiting for their elders to throw the first stone because they're good people. 
but it's actually the wisdom of the elders, that wisdom that holds on despite the hatred of the situation that says, I can't throw that rock, can I? And so they drop them and they leave. And Jesus just keeps riding in the dirt. Jesus proves one more unspoken miracle in the Gospel of John by simply choosing calm and by putting this back in the territory where it belongs, which is the territory of the human heart. Jesus does this and then straightens up again and asks the woman, hey, where'd they all go? Has no one here remained to condemn you? Then neither do I condemn you. And she leaves and Jesus tells her, go and leave your life of sin because the whole point of the law and of repentance was to turn away, to turn back towards the ways of God not used for entrapment or manipulation or for shaming or for winning cheap points. Jesus restores the intent of the law by sending this woman away and by sending away the Pharisees and Sadducees because none of us are any better than anybody else. And Jesus, the only one who had the right to condemn the woman, is the only one left. And he's not a rock thrower. He's a dirt writer. Now, there's always some debate, and John doesn't come out and tell us what Jesus was writing, but a lot of scholarly consensus says Jesus was probably writing the Shema or was starting to write the law. And he just keeps writing. I mean, like, we're talking sandbox-style writing in Hebrew, Aramaic, just writing down the law or the Shema, something from the Old Testament that would call everyone out. I wonder if, if you were eager to stone someone to catch Jesus, to prove a point. I wonder if you'd kind of know the sin in your own heart and you'd be hoping that Jesus wouldn't write down that specific one and then Jesus keeps writing. I don't think he can write the whole exhaustive list from the Torah, but I wonder how many people saw their particular sin that they struggle with written down in the dirt. And it's that moment of being called out and being like, that writing in the sand, that sin, that's me. I gotta go. Jesus chooses calm in this moment. And Jesus also chooses calm, not just with the crowds and, and their anger and hatred, their desire to prove themselves right. Jesus chooses calm with them. If we could inject that calm into the political system of our country today, that would be a modern miracle because we like to feel self-righteous and good to go, and that we're good, they're bad, and the ends justify the means. Jesus diffuses that, and then, on a personal note, he turns towards this woman, says that he does not condemn her either, and to go and leave her life of sin. Go and sin no more. Jesus chooses calm with that woman, too. When we do confession and assurance here every week, we remember that when Jesus approaches us, knowing our sin even better than we know it ourselves, Jesus knows the things that we didn't even mean to do that hurt someone in a way that was against God's law. When Jesus turns towards us in our sin, Jesus chooses calm. And so when we have those things that are deep in our gut that we know we need to fix in our lives, that we know we need to repent and turn, when we have that feeling deep down, we need to remember that our Savior who we turn to chooses calm even with us because Jesus' intent is to restore, to bring back, 
and to build up, whether it be the lost sheep, the lost coin, or what have you. Jesus wants to restore and bring back and build up. We see this in Jesus, choosing calm when the crowds are ready to kill. And you know, writing down the law would be a list of our transgressions. I would not want all of the wrong things, all of my sins that I've ever committed written down in the dirt. But you know what the beautiful thing about sand is? It's easily wiped away as if it was gone and is no longer. The winds, which wind is often associated with God's breath, will blow all of that away. This is Christ's intent with his life is to erase our sins, to wipe them away. Except he won't do that in the dirt. He'll do that with his blood on the cross and through his resurrection. And we'll get there in future weeks. But this is Jesus turning to the crowd and turning to the woman and choosing calm with all of them. I wonder if when the Apostle Paul was writing the book of Romans, if he had heard the story, because Paul met, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus after Jesus' ascension. Christ came back to speak to him. I wonder if when the Apostle Paul was hearing the stories of Jesus, when Peter and Andrew and Bartholomew were talking to him about all the things that Jesus did, I wonder if they told him this story and how Jesus just held his ground, choosing calm, and said, then neither do I condemn you. I wonder if Paul had that in his mind when he wrote Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because when Christ approaches you, he does so with an infinite love and calm and with no condemnation, but with a desire to restore and to fulfill the law in a way that we cannot do on our own. And then, but that's where Jesus is caught in the middle between the crowd and the woman, between the angry mob and the victim. But then what about when Jesus is before Pilate, where it's his life on the line? Now he's in the place of the woman who was about to die, and Jesus knows that he is going to die. He is committed to death for us. Jesus knows this full well that his life is on the line now, and he is before Pilate. And Jesus, once again, chooses calm. He talks with Pilate. He asks him questions, just like he asked the crowd questions. And he exists in this space even when his own life is on the line. And there's something about Jesus having this reputation above reproach that the Apostle Paul will also write about in the New Testament. That Pilate is scratching his head and being like, I, I don't find any fault with him. And this is chapter 18 of John, in chapter 19, it's repeated multiple times that Pilate is saying, I, I cannot find any charge against him. Pilate has his own cynicism to wrestle with. What is truth? Trying to reconcile this angry mob again with all that's going on and just trying to settle everybody down. What is truth? Is it the laws of the Jews? Is it the laws of Rome? I don't even know what I'm doing here today. And yet, the crowd doesn't want Barabbas. They want Jesus to die. Jesus engages Pilate with that same calm, with asking him the questions that he has to answer himself. He can't find any fault with him. In fact, he'll wash his hands of him. 
And yet Jesus there again chooses calm. Jesus chooses calm with the trap for his own life. Jesus chooses calm when it's you in the midst of hardship and tribulation and difficulty. In all of this, Jesus chooses calm. Now, what, what we can't do is atone for our own sins. We can repent, we can ask God to lead us and guide us in a better way, but we cannot wipe our own sins away as if they were written in the dirt because they're written on our hearts. Therefore, we need Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection to make our hearts a clean slate before Almighty God. So what we can't do is atone for our own sins. We cannot have death and resurrection on our own without Christ. But I wonder if there's just some part of Jesus' life, of all the different things that we can imitate and seek after, if choosing calm is one of them. Do you experience hatred and tension in your life? Do you see that on the news? Do you hear that, both with people you don't know or with those that you know quite well? Jesus, in all of it, chooses calm. So it's up to us, friends, to decide, do we want to be stone throwers and join the crowd because it feels good to feel right and vindicated and self-justified? Do we want to be stone throwers or dirt riders who have to first write down the territory of our own human hearts to remember how much we need grace? And if we remember how much we need grace for our own sins in the dirt, then we remember how much Grace is needed for our neighbor that we may love them as ourselves. Choose calm and choose Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, there is no trap that can hold you. There is no trick that can deceive you. Even the devil himself could not get the best of you. And you show us when it's your reputation on the line, when it's your life on the line, you choose calm. May we do the same. May you strengthen us that we might imitate you, that in a world of reactivity, of hatred, of anxiety and stress and busyness and overwhelm, we might have your Holy Spirit fill us with the type of life that you intend for us, that we may choose calm that we may reflect on your word, that your law may be written on our hearts, that the Beatitudes may be in our minds, that we remember that we are blessed through you. And may we remember each and every day that you wipe away our sins, you blow them away in the dirt, for they are no longer what define us, but you and you alone who have called us by name. You define who we are by reminding us whose we are. Jesus, we belong to you. Fill us with your life and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.